Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Shriver. This is Yannick Noah. Hi, I am Craig Elliott Shapiro, and you are listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, thank you very much, Craig, for introducing this edition of the Tennis Podcast, which sees us reassemble all together. Catherine Whitaker, Matt Roberts, and Billie Jean uh, is on the shoulder of Catherine right now. And Billie Jean having a quick look at me uh, as I say that. And uh, yes, how are we all doing? Catherine, back from Malaga. Flying visit. Yeah, rather more flying than I than I wish it had been. To be honest, um, I was extremely taken with my 24 hours in Malaga um, and it's made me hungry to to go back next year. At the time, at the time that I was making arrangements to to go out there um, to host the qualifiers uh, draws for the Billie Jean King Cup and Davis Cup finals today, um, I was on my way back from Turin and I just, you know, I just couldn't face I was in, oh my God, all I need is to wash my pants mode. Um, and the thought of going away again was, um, you know, I wanted to keep extra travel to a minimum and I wanted to be able to get Billie Jean back and everything. But second, I landed in Malaga and saw 20, 20 degrees and glorious sunshine and just felt the great vibes and saw Matt and had a plate of ham on. Um, yeah, I regretted all my choices, but there's there's next year. There's next year, which is exactly what we were trying to say to Matt a year ago when he was uh, bedridden with <laughs> the flu. Uh, happy to say he's smiling away, having just been at the Davis Cup final, and uh, you look a rather different character right now, Matt. I think you've had a decent week. I've had a lovely week, yeah. A really great week for all the reasons Catherine has described. Malaga is a very good place to be at this time of the year if you if you don't get flu. And the event has been really good. I think it exceeded my expectations, has been better than past editions of the Davis Cup finals that I've been to. And yeah, I've I've had a really good time. And yeah, just a always just a slightly weird feeling on on the final day of of the tennis season certainly for me this is this, this is my last event and there's that strange thing where you start saying bye to everyone and it, it feels like this great ending and then it's like oh well I'll see you in about 4 weeks time in or 5 weeks in Australia you know it all just it all just starts again but I think everyone is is going to try and take advantage of of a few weeks off now and uh, before we all start up again in, in January. Yes, uh, if uh, past history is anything to go by, it doesn't take us long to start uh, thinking, haven't we got any podcasts to record? Uh, well, actually, I should say we have got lots of podcasts to record, luckily. Mm. Um, and uh, just just to remind uh, everybody, uh, as if you want to introduce a show like Craig did, thank you very much, Craig, for introducing this one. You can do. Uh, become a friend of the Tennis Podcast at intro level or get a shout out at the end of the show and get us to uh, talk about your name. <laughs> and uh, and what sort of tennis player it reminds us of. Um, you can do that as well. And from December the 8th, 
You'll be able to make your pet our mascot. You'll be able to enter our annual predictions competition for 2024. You can become a guest editor of a Tennis Relived or a Q&A show. You can even become an executive producer and a top folk. How about that? Uh, and actually, we've got a couple more Tennis Tennis Relived editions for Friends of the Tennis Podcast to record in December. One on Maria Bueno, and I've been doing a couple of interviews already for that show, and I can't wait. I can't wait to find out more about her as well from people other than those that I've spoken to, and even already the people I've spoken to have just made me think, God, oh, I wish I was around when Maria Bueno was playing, and, uh, and it's going to be lovely to, to really delve into her story and that's exactly what we're going to do we're also going to be talking about 50 years of the wta and that's the anniversary this year and we've got interviews related to that as well and next week we'll be back with another show to update anything we hear in the tennis world between now and then and to let you know our plans for 2024 and i tell you what we've got a lot of them but first we're going to talk about the davis cup the final and the crowning of Italy for only the second time in their history. It ends 47 years of waiting for another Davis Cup triumph. Uh, the last one was in 1976, and they did it in pretty emphatic, impressive style against Australia, who ended up losing, Matt, in a very similar way to how they ended up losing in the final last year, didn't they, really? Because their number two player, Alexi Poprin, in this instance, wasn't able to get the job done against Matteo Rinaldi. And then poor old Alex Dimonor. I mean, he just never stood a chance, did he, against Yannick Sinner, who has just arrived. I mean, he's been arriving all year, but it just it felt inevitable that he would come out and deliver a performance. And then he kind of did that and then some. Yeah, I'm I'm starting to feel really quite sorry for Alex Dimonor actually because he is so in love with this competition and so desperate to win it and plays his part absolutely fantastically. You know, he is such a big reason why Australia have been able to reach back-to-back Davis Cup finals. But we know that there's a bit of a ceiling, a bit of a limit to just how far he can take it. You know, he's he, he is going to win the matches that he needs to win and is expected to win to get Australia there. But if he runs into a peaking Felix Auger-Aliassime as he did last year, he's not quite going to have enough. And if he runs into a peaking Yannick Sinner as he did this year, well, he's nowhere near close to having enough. And that is no slight on Alex Dimonor because Yannick Sinner is absolutely awesome at the moment. And all the things that Yannick, uh, that Alex Dimonor does that normally hurt his opponents, you know, like hitting the ball really flat and taking it really early, it just seems to completely play into Yannick Sinner's hands and just allow Yannick Sinner to, to generate seemingly even more pace on those extraordinary ground strokes of his. It is a nightmare matchup for Alex Dimonor. He's now lost uh, all six of their matches, if you include their match at, at the next gen finals. Um, so, yeah, just a really, really dominant head to head for Yannick Sinner. So, it did always feel like this was going to be on the number two singles for Australia in the same way that it did last year, because, you know, Alex Dimonor's kind of done his bit to get them to the final. Then it's like, right, now I need to rely on the rest of my team because the number two singles, it's very rare that countries have really good number two singles. You know, I think that that position has felt so pivotal all tournaments, you know, because players play with a bit more nerves in that position or they're not quite so used to the stage. You know, it really feels like that that point is up for grabs in so many of these ties. And then, of course, Australia have got this incredible doubles team in Matt Ebden and Max Purcell. So we knew that they could probably fall back and rely on that. It was just a question of whether they could get it there. And it was the same last year and it's the same this year. And it was uh, Tanasi Kokonakis last year who couldn't quite do it. And it was Alexi Popperin this year who who couldn't quite do it. And, yeah, that that feels like the area of growth for this Australia team. Certainly if, you know, I know he's not, fit at the moment but if you know if Nick Kyrgios is not going to commit to Davis Cup 
he's the guy with the potential really high ceiling that could, you know, sort of allow this team maybe to flourish even more if he's peaking on his day. But he's not really part of the equation. So therefore, it feels like the area of growth is that number two singles position. Can someone step up and make it their own? And I think Alexi Popperin has has given it a good go this week, you know, but just ultimately fallen a little bit short in in the match today against Matteo Arnaldi, which I'm sure we'll talk about. But uh, yeah, I really do feel for Australia because they're so consistent. They're such regular contenders, but there's just a little bit missing if they come up against a really, really great team with a great, great player like Yannick Sinner. Do you know, I, I was watching that Sinner-Dimonor match and it whilst the reasons for it were not the same as when Djokovic beat Dimonor in such emphatic style at the start of the year, which, listen, I think Djokovic would have beaten Dimonor anyway, but I think he had something else going on in his mind that night. He wanted to shut a few people up that night and really stuff it to them. And he was it was awesome. He was unbeatable that night, pretty much, I would say. Now, Sinner isn't like that. And he was, he's not doing it for those reasons. And I just don't think he's like that anyway. Um, but in terms of awesomeness, it was similar. Because Dimonor came out that mm. night against Djokovic, the first four games, playing out of his mind to keep it to two all in the first set. And he did the same today. He he's, he was charging the net. He was clearly trying to hit and and rush in and try and take time away from Sinner and and do things that he, he can do. I mean, he's such a good player. But that's, that's the thing. He's a, a really, really good player. Um, he's not a great player. And he never will be. Not at that level. He doesn't have that level of acceleration, that sort of ignition... And then off, you know, the way that these guys do. And Catherine, it was it was extraordinary what Sinner did to him. I, I felt for Dimonor because he was powerless. And the, there was a moment where I I think Leighton Hewitt, when he was a, a set and a breakdown at the start of the second set, Hewitt got down on his haunches in front of him. And, and I don't know what he was saying, whether he was trying to pump him up. I mean, you can't, how can you pump him up anymore? But... Poor old Dimonor looked as though, look, I'm going to give it everything, but I can't live with this. That that's how it looked. Sin has got Sin has got a level that I'm not sure we really knew he had. Would you Would you subscribe to that? Yes, I think perhaps we knew it was something he might be capable of in the future, but might be capable of is you know is pie in the sky. That there's <laughs> we don't need to list them, but there are. There are plenty of players that we've discussed over the years what they might be capable of, and they've never, they've never quite got there. So the fact that he is realizing it at the age of of twenty two is not to be underestimated. Just because we've known about his oodles of talent f- for so long, I do find there is something quite poetically heartbreaking about the category of play, the Alex Dimonor category of player, the. Um, massive heart, but a ceiling. You know, we'll leave it all out there, but can't ha- help the fact that you, they'll run through a brick wall, but then they'll hit a glass ceiling. You know, that's a terrible, terrible mixture of uh, metaphors and analogies. But it, Dan Evans is the same, isn't he? He'll throw it all out there. He'll put in the performance of his life for you and certainly for his country in Davis Cup but there are some players against whom it'll never be enough and there's yeah I find that quite tough I, I really I really feel for Alex Dimonor it's, it's the it's a perennial question is it better to give your all play the match of your life and lose or is it better to throw in a stinker and lose and feel like Oh yeah, but if I'd played my best, it would have been enough. That feeling of my best me isn't enough. That's that's tough. But then he also gets to know that, just like his captain, he left it absolutely all out there and always will. I don't know which is which is better. Um, I'm sure he's okay. Yeah, 
I'm I'm sure he's fine, but yeah, I, I really feel for him. Mm. Matt, when you come away from that tie and that first rubber, do you feel as though Popperin could should have done more? Should have should have been able to take that from Arnaldi, or do you feel that Arnaldi stepped up and showed actually? I'm the man here, and I am capable. I missed out on those three match points in the previous one, but I got myself to match point, and you know I've learnt from it. What, what, what did you come out feeling? Well, Arnaldi thinks that Popperin should have won. <laughs> Arnaldi's okay. assessment was, quote, I think I was playing pretty bad. Uh, and uh, and Popperin was, was the better player for sure. And, you know, all of these things. Not said in a trolly way. I mean, that maybe sounds like a bit of a troll. I really don't think it was. Um, do you know, this match was like, it was like sort of, Sinner Djokovic light from yesterday in that in that final set because it was nowhere near the same quality. It was nowhere near the same sort of yeah, just standard and just like this is this is the elite of tennis that you knew knew you were watching with Sinner and Djokovic. It was it was quite tense and tight on Audi Popperin, but you know, just like just like the Sinner Djokovic match, it felt like the tie was kind of on the line in, in that final set. And also the pattern of it was so similar in that Arnaldi was clinging on to his serve in the way that Sinner was clinging on to his serve against Djokovic. And Arnaldi saved break points in four of his five service games in that final set. He was 15-40 down a couple of times. He saved eight break points overall. The one service game, he didn't have to face break points. He was still 15-30 down. You know, he was just constantly under pressure. And you just had this feeling as as long as he can keep hanging in there and, and keep holding serve, that thing we spoke about yesterday in terms of the sort of beauty of the tennis scoring system and, and, and the pressure of the scoreboard, the fact that he was ahead if he kept clinging on, you felt like that could, could eventually tell because it wasn't like Popperin was playing the sort of flawless tennis himself, he was a bit tight as well. And all it really took was Arnaldi to get 5-4 ahead and then Popperin played a really poor game, serving to stay in the match, just littered with unforced errors. And so I think I, I, I think I fall down on the side of, it was kind of, it was really there for both players to win. Like I, I, I don't think either player played the most impressive match. You know, it was pretty tight and pretty tense. But I was really drawn to Arnaldi and the way that he came back from being replaced in in the semi-final. I mean, I I put that to him. I said, how hard was it to play in the quarters, then be replaced and then come back for the final? And he, he, he was very keen to stress that he didn't feel like he had been replaced. He felt like they've got such a such an array of options in the number two singles. It was always a possibility that they would sort of mix and match and and sort of use the depth of their squad. And I think that's probably a good way of looking at it rather than sort of thinking that he'd been dropped, I suppose. That's probably good captaincy from from Valandri to kind of get that message across to him. But I was really impressed that, you know, he came back from playing a good match against Baltic van der Zanskult but not winning it to playing a decent match today under such high pressure and managing to get the win. And he, he did save a lot of those break points he was facing. You know, it wasn't like Popperin was totally blowing them. Arnaudi was was coming up with really good tennis when it mattered in that in that final set. And um yeah, he 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 spoke at the end about just how just how emotional it was for him this week. You know, he wasn't just playing for his country, he was also sort of playing for his family. His um his girl his girlfriend's father passed away a few weeks ago and he hadn't played a tournament in in the few weeks leading up to the Davis Cup because of that. He pulled out of Paris because of that, and um, you know, so it was just it was just a, a a sort of heavy emotional week for him to be to be back on the court. And and I thought he did I thought he did really really well. And yeah, there was just this this slight sense that Popperin probably was the overall slightly better player in that final set and didn't take his chances and. 
he was he was asked in the press conference if he'd ever felt worse after a match and he gave a one word answer and that was no like this was this was as low as he's ever felt because i think i think he thought that the chance was there for him for him to grab it and take it and he, and he just didn't and was that press conference Matt, before the eventual outcome of the the whole tie was known was that during the sinner Diminor match. Yeah, Paul Popperin had to come in twice. <laughs> um, oh. he, so he came in after that uh, singles match. And then for the finals, they bring in the whole team rather than just the captain and, and the singles player or the captains and, and the doubles team. Everyone comes in. So, yeah, Popperin, um, Popperin was in twice. And I mean, he didn't, he wasn't asked a question in, in the second press conference, but he was just clearly gutted, absolutely gutted. I'm not. Wanting to write off uh, Alexi Popperin as the number two player of, at all. But equally, you know, as you say, for Australia, that number two position is so crucial. And it is yet to have somebody step up and just claim it as as their own. I'm looking through the the men's Australian rankings and Alexi Popperin is is the Australian number two to Alex Dimonor. Max Purcell mm. is now the Australian number three singles player. And obviously he was there as a, a member of the team this week, sort of there to play doubles. But maybe this is just something that hasn't come up on the, the podcast, but I didn't hear his name floated a, as a potential singles player once. Was that because of the need or want to keep him fresh for potential doubles I've, i find it uh, it's just curious that no nobody's been talking about maybe trying him as singles because he is okay i think he's a player with a ceiling as well but he is he's 45 in the world right now and that's off the back of his best ever season he's he's rising mm. yeah or has been rising i think i think hewitt would say he was in contention to play singles but you know, he sort of went with Jordan Thompson first time, who's who's been a reliable player for him in the past. Then he went with Alexi Popperin, and Popperin did manage to get the win. So I think you go with him again, don't you? So yeah, I guess that's why. But I I, I completely agree. There's there's a few players there. Just you just need one of them. They've all made big jumps this year. They've all sort of had pretty much career high rankings this year, but. No one has quite claimed that that number two spot as their own, and and that I think is what Australia need to to try and win this thing. You, you've got a you've got a Chris O'Connell, you've got a sensation situation, you've got <laughs> uh, an Alexander Vukic, who's had his best ever year. You've got a Rinky Hidjikata and a Jason Kubler, mm. who were there this week supporting on the sidelines. You know they're mm. they're very much next in line to to try and take on that to, role. to have a to have a go yeah yeah i just wonder if next season obviously that they, they won't play the but having reached the final they won't play the qualifiers in in february but i wonder for the for the group stages after that whether leighton Hewitt will just try try a few others have an have an audition process judges houses type vibe <laughs> I think Rinky Hijikata could be a, a decent bet in the future. I mean, he's not only had that doubles win, but he's also had singles success in the last year uh, and is making progress. So it will be very interesting. I mean, David pushing a pro Rinky Hijikata agenda. It, <laughs> well, who would have thought it? Now, now that Alexi Popperin's <laughs> let me down. Dropped like a hot potato. Well, once I've had a couple more beers, I'll be back on the train. Um, <laughs> there are no more glaringly different press conferences than the winner and the loser in Davis Cup finals and Billie Jean King Cup finals are there. I mean, we've we've had some absolute belters over the years. When you think of Matt's interviews with Heinz Guntart a couple of years ago in the Billie Jean King Cup finals and all the aggro there, and the, I remember the... the the ones that you did, Catherine, with Yannick Noah when when France lost that time um, at home, and then we've had that press conference with Serbia and and Djokovic and Tipsarovic, and just they were just almost speechless two or three years ago, and and 
pretty short one again for, for, for Serbia last night. Understandably, I mean, these people, they're putting heart and soul in and they're just devastated. What, what was it like today? I mean, you've given us a few snippets from Italy and Popper in there, but just generally, what else, what else did you hear today? Well, with Hewitt, I asked him a bit about the format, which maybe we want to get into a little bit later. So I, I guess I can I can come back to that. Um, honestly, I I, com- I completely agree with you, David. And I was expecting this incredible contrast between the two. They were both quite low key press conferences. That there, there, there wasn't a lot to come out from them. Australia came in very quickly. I, I was still on the court. Uh, watching some of the celebrations when I got the notification that Australia were in press. So I I ran over and I don't think a lot of press made it in time. So it just wasn't that well attended. Um, but yeah, look, they were gutted. Alex de Menor wasn't even asked this question directly. I think, I think it might even have been addressed at uh, Max Purcell. But de Menor took the mic and said, we are going to win this thing. You know, we are coming so close it stings like hell right now, but we're going to be back. You know, that that is, he was defiant, I suppose. Um, and I love that about him, but it, it does all sort of feed into what we were saying earlier about just sort of how sorry I feel for him because he, he, he needs a bit of backup in, the, in that number two position. Um, and then the Italian press conference, look, I mean, they were clearly happy and they were... You know, I think joyous certainly in the locker room, but they were pretty, pretty sort of mild mannered. I mean, there was this, this sort of really, I don't know, this sort of moment we summed up Yannick Sinner. I suppose a lot of a lot of players in that in that scenario would would come into the press conference. I don't know, drinking a bit of champagne or or something. He came in munching on an apple. Having just won the Davis <laughs> Cup, you know, and oh, he's given up carrots, has he? <laughs> That's a bit confusing to all the uh, men that have invested in carrot outfits to f- mm. follow him around yeah. the tour, supporting him. Yeah, not good for his if brand. Coming with a carrot, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, there was just this sense of you know, it was it was very Yannick Sinner. He he was yeah he was he was it was just another sort of step in his process i suppose um he, he wasn't getting too high about it whatsoever he was just having his apple and do uh, you or you catherine i want i want to, i want an answer out of both of you has what you've seen this week changed your view of his 2024 in which i think we were all in agreement that we could see him reaching a grand slam final does this make you go any further to seeing him actually winning a Grand Slam singles title in 2024? Um, the, the second I got through the door, I'm at, I'm at my uh, mum and dad's house tonight and, and my brother is also here. Um, and despite the fact that all of my family members listen to the tennis podcast and hear all of the tennis takes that I have, they still immediately grilled me for Yannick Sinner takes and that this was precisely their question. I think they had all been discussing it amongst themselves before I, before I arrived. Um, I, if I had to nail my colours to the mast now, which I do because I participate in a tennis podcast, I would say I would probably stick to a final next year and win one the year after. Because I st- I still maintain that while he is this has been a big big step forward in his progression these past few weeks, it is still part of a very methodical progression. This has been a slightly steeper curve these past few weeks than we've seen at other stages of his career, un- undoubtedly, um, and I don't expect it to be like Felix Auger-Lissim or Holger Runer at the end of last year. I don't expect it to be a big peak that after which he will suddenly revert to a previous mean. I expect him to continue this progression, but I still come back to him being a methodical guy, um, 
he's only reached a Grand Slam semi-final up up to now. I think he will continue that progression next year. I, I think I think it's more possible than I thought it to be a few weeks ago that he would win one last year. He's certainly got the tennis to do it, but doing it in best of five sets is different. So I'm I'm staying with the same prediction, but I would not be shocked if he won a Grand Slam in 2024. Yeah, he's he, he's very much in the mix to win a Grand Slam next year. I would not be surprised. I, I think I think when you go through them all individually, it, it it becomes a little hard to actually predict him to win one just because of Djokovic's dominance in Australia. The fact that I don't quite know whether he's ready yet on clay. Um, grass, I think, is a good surface for him. And, and you know, there's certainly Djokovic and there's Alcaraz, but I, I certainly think he would be next. And then the US Open just feels so far away and so so hard to predict because, he you know, he might end up playing on one of those really hot, sticky nights like he did this year. And you just you're just not capable of playing the sort of tennis that he's been playing the last two months or so because the conditions are so horrible. Um, but what I would say the last couple of months have has done is is sort of changed my outlook on his on his career a bit more broadly, even just from next year. I, I feel so confident now that Yannick Sinner is going to be a real challenger for Carlos Alcaraz. Like, I, I think there's been a time in the last six months or so where I've thought Alcaraz might have a real period of, of dominance. You know, he, he might have... Twelve in a row. Well, exactly. Well, you, <laughs> I thought You that. think you thought that, man? <laughs> yeah. You know, and suddenly it feels like he's got he's got a real rival now who's his own age. And I, I know we already knew about the Sinner-Alcaraz rivalry, but Sinner has has shown a level here against the, all the other players in the top 10 over the last few months that I didn't quite know that he had in him yet. You know, he's he's turned that head-to-head round against Medvedev. He's beaten Djokovic a couple of times. He's swatted aside Tsitsipas. He's won that match against Runa where he didn't really need to win it. You know, all these things and... I've just been so, so convinced by him. And he's also had fewer injuries than Alcaraz, which is sort of, sort of a tick in in his box as well. So there's so much to like long-term, I think, about about Yannick Sinner. And I was rereading, um, rereading Matt Futterman's sort of profile of him that he did a couple of weeks ago uh, during the ATP finals. And he was talking about this, this steady progression, this year-on-year progression, um, which I absolutely still subscribe to, and that is probably why I would fall down on the side of you know a, a final next year for him at a slam. But there was this line in there about you know how everyone always talks about how much Sinner's skiing has has helped his movement, you know, and, and the way he sort of covers the court, you know, in in that sort of style that's a little bit reminiscent of Djokovic. He was of course a great skier as well, and. Matt had a quote from Yannick Sinner in that, which wasn't so much about the way that skiing has helped his movement, but more about the way that it's helped him approach tennis matches because he, because he says it's, it's hard to die playing tennis. (laughs) Whereas when you're skiing, that is, you know, sort of genuinely a, a kind of legitimate concern. And I think the fearlessness and the daring nature of Sinner's tennis, seeing it up close in the you know as I did yesterday when he when he beat Novak Djokovic in the big moments he goes for it and he backs himself and I'm not sure there's that many young players who've who've had that I think I think players back off sometimes and he doesn't at all it's full throttle it's full blooded and it's awesome and I just am a, a big big believer he's he's just yeah he's he's such a star in a way that I I hadn't quite realized i don't think and, and, and until this run in in the last couple of months so long term for his career it's changed my outlook but next year i don't know it, it still feels like djokovic is the guy at the slams alcaraz is the one who's proven already that he can beat djokovic at a slam and i can't wait to find out whether whether sinner can do it too i am interested 
David, in how saving three consecutive match points against Novak Djokovic can change a person. That is so extraordinary a feat. I keep looking back at that screenshot. If 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 Djokovic at, at love forty on the center serve and the graphic saying three match points and thinking what that that can't have happened. I mean, it is possible that that just alters someone's tennis DNA. Yeah, I, I mean, obviously, Carlos Alcaraz is winning the next twelve slams, so all of this is irrelevant. But but at least he gets to the finals. <laughs> yes, yes. More often, I I I just can't imagine it won't make a seismic difference to his mentality on on the court when he needs it. How can he ever go match point again, down again and not think, yeah, but I beat Novak Djokovic from Love 40. Three match points when it when it mattered. And and that'll get him that'll get him out of trouble a lot of times, I think. That'll get him wins. And uh the the other thing is that the methodical nature of him, I think, is such a feather in his cap as well. I mean it, it he might not. He's not as exciting as as Alcaraz in terms of the way he celebrates moments. He he's he's not quite as capable of the spectacular as Alcaraz at his very best. But he is bloody spectacular as a, as a shot maker and a ball striker. It is truly wow factor reactions that that I have when I see him just hit a tennis ball. It's like how are you doing some of these things? And he's he's likable. I think he's a likable guy. But it's not it's not electric in terms of the way Alcaraz makes you feel. At least me, anyway. That's that's how I feel. But I think that in some ways, in terms of development, this just feel this ends up becoming very sustainable and very uh, incremental. He can keep building on this, particularly with the team he's got around him. I just think it's such a it was such a bold move to change his team the way he did, and then to frankly to convince Darren Cahill. I don't know how that conversation went, but Darren Cahill does not back losers. He he backs winners. He backs number ones of the future time and time again and helps them along the way, of course. But he knew that this guy had got the right stuff. And, uh, well, it's going to be fun finding out. It's also goddamn sensible, isn't it? I mean, he just seems like such a sensible chap, yeah. Yannick Sinner. Eating his apple. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I do like very, nu- I do, very nutritious. I like the way this unassuming, polite, quiet young lad is able to just play such devastating tennis and be so bold in the big moments, and and also not back down when mm. when the going got tough. That's that's what's changed this week. Is is we've seen somebody to use Mary's. Expression: Somebody with fangs, somebody who's gonna come come for you, you know, and he's gonna finish you off if he gets half a look. Come on, then, Matt. Let, tell us about what. Uh, go on. You got something else? Well, I, I was just gonna say a final point on Italy before we get into sort of big, big picture sort of Davis Cup format stuff. Um, quite interesting that this tournament has had ten different winners in the last ten years. You know, no nation has been able to get any kind of grip on it and and, and dominate it. And I think a lot of that is partly because, you know, players have seen it as a slight tick of the box thing. You know, I want to win the Davis Cup once and then, you know, it's such an effort to play it and fit it into my schedule. I'll I'll take a year off or, you know, I'll, I'll come back to it eventually. And there hasn't really been a nation that's been able to dominate at all but if any can it does feel like Italy might be the one because they've just got so many good young players I mean Sinner, Musetti, and Arnaldi are all 22 or younger Berrettini is 27 and you know if he's fit he's kind of right in his prime and you would hope that he'll be able to be back part of this team again and then I had a look and there are six other Italian players aged 22 or younger ranked between 100 and 200 so sort of ready to to try and make that leap you know 
they've got two in the next gen finals, haven't they? Yes. Um, well, the young players, twenty-two and under, Flavio Caboli, Luca Nardi, Luciano. Th- those Dardegi. are the two in, in next gen. Yeah. Caboli and Nardi. Yeah. Uh, Julio Zeppieri, Mattia Bellucci, and Matteo. I don't know. Gigante would be how I'd say it in in Spanish. I don't know what it is in Italian. So very keen for the Julio to make it. I think tennis is missing a Julio. <laughs> so you know, there's potential there for one of those, two of those to to make a jump, and suddenly you've got so many good young players that even if one of them took a bit of a year off from it, there's just just so many options there. And I, it was kind of amusing to me that that the number two position was so sort of fraught for Italy. If it feels like it shouldn't be, it feels like they've got so many options that they should really know who to go for. But obviously Sonigo's injury, Mazzetti's flakiness, Berrettini's injury, Arnaudi's inexperience made that a bit of a tricky spot for them, this this tournament. But in the future, it shouldn't be. And, you know, if Yannick Sinner is going to play like this and is going to commit to it, then, you know... I would like to see a nation really in Davis Cup try and do what Czechia have done in Billie Jean King Cup and say, look, we're the we're the men's tennis nation right now. And Italy's got so much going for it in terms of the ATP finals being there. They've got so many challenger events, haven't they? There's there's a reason why they've got a lot of players right now. And, you know, it had been, as you said, 47 years since they'd won this competition they they should not be going 47 years before their next win you know they they should be winning this davis cup again in the next few years and and i hope that they commit to it and and um try and do it because you know we've seen we've seen how emotional and how good it can be when they do it so i I'd, I'd love for them to try and create a bit of a sort of dynasty ready to pop the question the jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, tennis podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. That that definitely feels like the big difference between the competition now on a plus side and the past. Once once it's been won, I don't I don't see Yannick Sinner thinking, okay, I'm not playing that again. You know, I, I, I see it's it's it feels more doable. He might not play every stage of it, but I think he'll be at the finals next year and it not be too big a deal, not too big a problem. Um so that's the plus side. What about the rest of it? I mean, we, we, we've generally been very positive about the crowds have been great. The the atmosphere's been really much, so much better than I think we anticipated when we when we knew that Spain weren't going to be in it. I mean, it was it was a disaster. We 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 said it was a disaster, and it doesn't feel like it's been a disaster in any way, shape, or form overall. I mean, that would have made it even better, I'm sure. But Matt. 
You spoke to Leighton Hewitt today, who, well, he does think it's a disaster. He's always thought it's a disaster. What what did he have to say today? Yeah, I mean, basically, he, he still isn't isn't too keen. Um, I I asked him whether Malaga this week had had won him over, had had helped convince him that there was a bit of a future in terms of this format. And he said, Malaga has put on a great event in terms of what they can do with the format that they've got. Their hands are tied, he said. There's no home and away. There's no five sets. It's not ideal. And then he made this point saying that he's he's sick of playing on hard courts, you know, because the finals are always on in, in, in an indoor hard court. And he said, that's not what Davis Cup's about. It's about playing on grass, clay, outdoor elements, traveling, you know. So he he really thinks that the essence of this competition has been lost for all of those reasons. Um, and I do understand that. You know, if, if, if you'd asked me a couple of weeks ago what to do about the Davis Cup, I think I would have said, change it back. I, I, I think I would have said, doesn't work, the final eight. I've, I've been to enough of these now, I thought, that it didn't work. You know, we've just not been able to create the good atmospheres in locations that are mostly neutral for sort of most of the matches. But so I'd have probably said change it back, but make it every couple of years because I think I think that would maybe help more players commit. I think scarcity is important. Missing something is important. Tennis, tennis doesn't really realise that, and in such a crowded calendar, that would be maybe a chance to just yeah create some of that scarcity. Um, but the reason I sort of asked Hewitt whether he'd been won over and convinced is because I've kind of been pretty won over by, by Malaga this week. I think this has been a really, really good event. And the first time that I can truly and confidently hand on heart say that I think a final eight can work. And that's a final eight without the host nation. As you said, I think, there's lots of reasons why Malaga works. That it's a relatively cheap place to get to and to be. The weather is really nice at this time of year, which is going to encourage people to travel. There's a strong expat community from lots of different European nations, so that you know fan groups can get here fairly easily. Um, and they just did a great job getting people in seats and creating atmosphere. You know, they've given colourful wristbands out this year, which they hadn't done in the past. And that just all sort of helped. They just There's just a lot of reasons, I think, why Malaga has shown this week that we have to give this transformation of the Davis Cup time because it's it's got better every year. And this year was by far the best, I think, if you're just going to suddenly change it again, you're back to sort of starting from scratch. I think finally we've got something here that we can work with. You know, there are there are concerns still about the fact that it is always in, in Spain, um, about the fact that I think the group stage in September, I would look to, to changing that to being traditional home and away, like the qualifiers so that you had a couple of rounds of home and away, and then you have this final eight. You know, there are still tweaks and improvements to make, for sure. They're not going to happen next year. The format's going to be exactly the same. But in the future, they are looking at it. And personally, I think there's there's a lot here that was good and that we can go on. And we had commitment from top players, and that was massive as well. And we had the iconic moment of Sinner saving match point to beat Djokovic. That will help the event. The fact that, that happened in Davis Cup. You know, people will remember that. So I leave this event feeling more positive about the Davis Cup than I have for a very, very long time, I would say. Even though I do hear all of these concerns, I think I think there's a way we can incorporate some of those while not losing what we've what we've built here with with this final eight. And what do you think about my solution? to Leighton Hewitt's problem of... Because one of the issues is not only is it always in Spain. I mean, whilst Mark Woodford and those at the top of the ITF say that other countries can bid for the finals and Australia could be hosting it, et cetera, et cetera, okay. So how many other countries' fans are going to travel all the way over to Australia to to 
to create an atmosphere for the ties not involving Australia. That's that's one of the big problems here. Um, my solution is the reintroduction of the challenge round for next week, effectively. So you would have, I mean, let, let's say, for instance, this is what I would say to Leighton Hewitt, let's say Australia had won it today and then next year they reintroduced the challenge round. So you'd have you'd have your week one of the Davis Cup finals in Malaga and the winner would have the would would win the right to go to Australia next week and take on Australia in their own backyard in a in a, a the ultimate final where Australia has had the whole year to prepare and stage this event and sell all the tickets and, and build up to it and watch the the first week because it matters who they're going to end up playing and then if they win they host it again and then somebody has got to go and rip it out of their grasp. And that's the ultimate test. It's the ultimate test. Why can't that work? David, there is so much I love about that idea. I mean, I love everything that you've just described. It, I would be pumped for it. But you simply can't add another week to the tennis calendar. Of course you can if you want to we do need, it. You just take need, something else no, away. No, we, well, sure, fine. But we need to be taking stuff away. Sure. So take, leave the good stuff and take the crap away. Okay. But nobody is taking anything away from the tennis calendar. Things are moving in the other direction. We know that won't happen. Okay. So, so play the two events alternate years then. Billie Jean King Cup has that format one year. Yeah. And then the next year, the Davis Cup has that format. There's your format. Yeah, look... I- there's a lot to like about that. And I think the final eight concept has has worked, as I said, but there's no doubt that, you know, it was it was Italy and Australia in, in the final today. There was a really good atmosphere because there was plenty of Italians there. But, you know, there's barely any Australian fans there. And at, at, at previous Davis Cup finals, you know, in the old format, you'd obviously have loads of home fans, but the away fans would have a real showing as well. You know, I remember all those Brits in in, in Belgium in, in in 2015 by the by the side of the court, you know, and countless other examples. I suppose I suppose my one worry would be with this challenge round system, how would how would the fans of the winner of the final eight get to Australia a week later? You know, like you, you'd be kind of in that in that position again of not having amazing away representation at a final. But maybe maybe you don't want that. Maybe you just want you've got to go into the lion's den and and try and win it. Yeah, you know, maybe that would feel less important. I guess in so. this scenario, fin- Finland would be over there. I tell you that <laughs> <laughs> their fans yeah. would be on the first plane. <laughs> yeah, but no, it's true. I, I, I listen. I mean, that there is that would be a hell of a a, a challenge for people to get over there, but I'm telling you, I think I think that that would give it such a kudos. Um, and and I think imagine imagine how sought after that trip would be for those that could. I mean, I know it's it might be difficult, but you just you'd well love it. well. The good news is that Australia aren't winning the Davis Cup because they haven't got a number two, so no one's got to go all the way yeah. over to Australia. It's it's. It's going to be in in Europe. You know, Italy Sorry would be the hosting there. the challenge round, like, and they would know that they're there, and they could host it in Rome or wherever. Oh, it'd be amazing. Anyway, it's not going to happen, folks. <laughs> Just in my mind, every year I'm going to mention it. Every year. Oh, um, we we actually had the the draws for next year, and they were hosted by our very own Catherine Whitaker. Most splendidly uh, yesterday were there any highlights coming out of that draw for both the Billie Jean King Cup and the Davis Cup well Matt was in the audience as a as a journalist so Matt might be um better placed I mean my my takeaway from the Billie Jean King Cup draw was a Great Britain have got France again but this time in France um, and France will surely put that on clay, and that just sounds an absolute disaster for <laughs> yeah. for GB. 
um, Japan at home. Um, and I'm getting ahead of myself here, but just the idea of Naomi Osaka playing Billie Jean King Cup again for Japan at home was was really, really cool. Against Elena Rabakina's um, Kazakhstan. Absolutely. And we know that Rabakina, whether she actually plays or not, she does turn out for the <laughs> Billie Jean King Cup for, for Kazakhstan. So, yeah, I, I found that. That very fun. What jumped out to you, Matt? Yeah, the same things really. Um, Australia have a have a home Billie Jean King Cup tie, which I I think they'll be pleased about. Uh, Serbia have a home Davis Cup, and Novak Djokovic was saying the other day just just how long it's been since Serbia had one of those. So I'm sure they'll be they'll be happy about that as well. Um, I, I liked the sound of Beatrice Haddad Meyer's Brazil at home to Germany. I think that'll be a good good atmosphere. And I, I can't I can't not mention Nicholas Jarry's Chile at home against Peru. That sounds that sounds like a fun atmosphere as well. I think um, you know as, as I said, the fact that Europe is 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 at the centre now of of the Davis Cup is part of the element that does doesn't quite sit right with me you know and um i think there's there's too few opportunities for these incredible south american nations for example who who do get the amazing atmospheres to host ties and they've they've really only got one shot and it's and it's these qualifiers in the current format and um so i'm always pleased to see when they get those and yeah the davis cup qualifiers are early february straight after the australian open and the Billie Jean King Cup qualifiers are mid-April. Do, do wild cards sit okay with you, Matt? No, I would. I would get rid of those absolutely. Um, the the Billie Jean King Cup wild cards I find particularly problematic because they're straight through to the the finals, like the final twelve that we just had a couple of weeks ago in in Seville. The Davis Cup ones get you through to the group stages. So it's not like you're automatically through to the sort of end point of the competition. Uh, but no, I, I, I don't like them. And um, I can't quite explain it because I know wild cards are a thing in tennis, but it doesn't feel like they're being used in, in the right way in, in, in Davis Cup and, and Billie Jean King Cup. No, I don't like them. And it, it feels very unfair that they, that they go to these big nations you know britain are getting them because they can they can host the group stages well it's it's enough of an advantage anyway that you can host the group stages you know let alone being put straight through to it 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 just feels just feels wrong to me no i i i share that view um but it's not changing at the moment that's going to happen and britain do have a wild card um so yeah davis cup finals for another year done and dusted it was uh it was fun i really enjoyed your presence matt i've enjoyed i like i love that question you've asked like hear it today and i'm not not surprised that he didn't back down but he's at least been presented with the fact that this was a, a different level of event to what has been staged in the past in this particular format um it's it's been fantastic having you there um and best of all see you looking happy and healthy and ready to come home and and then do more podcasts with us. Um, I think, I think that that is about that for this week and looking at Billie Jean, I think she's just had about enough of it as well. She is absolutely out of it. (laughs) I'm Catherine Shoulder. She is not, not with us right now. She's, she's, she's very much asleep. Um, So, We're going to be back with you in a week's time with another edition of the Tennis Podcast where we'll update you on whatever's going on in the tennis world and outline our plans, many of them for 2024. Uh, We'll have two editions of Tennis Relived coming your way in December. Um, One or two, um, two more than I'm sure I'm forgetting uh, for the shows. But uh, yeah, we're going to be very much still in your ears. And then it'll all start again in just over a month in 2024 when Catherine Matt and myself will be going to Australia, to Melbourne, to produce 
daily editions of the Tennis Podcast from the Australian Open. We cannot wait. It is because of Friends of the Tennis Podcast that we're able to do it. Um, and if you'd like to become a friend and support this show, you can do exactly that. Um, and yeah, you'll get access to what have we produced? More than 20 editions uh, just for Friends of the Tennis Podcast this year, including Tennis Relived, eight of those Q&A shows with us um, and Grand Slam review shows when we get voice notes from so many of our favorite contributors. But it's because of you. You're helping the show by being a friend of the Tennis Podcast. So become one. Click that link in your show notes, tennis.supportingcast.fm, if you would like to go and just stick it in your browser and off you go. You can give it as a gift. For Christmas, then you you know you don't even have to give it any thought, then do you? You don't have to do any wrapping. You can just go and buy somebody a subscription to the tennis podcast. There you go. I'm full of ideas, folks. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay, um, right, Matt. What time is your flight tomorrow? My flight is at the civilized time of about half past eleven, and I I brought that forward so that I can get home and and get to Craven Cottage tomorrow night. For, oh. for a probably very dull game between Fulham and Wolves. Yeah, well, Wolves, I can guarantee it'll be dull. Uh, we've got our mascots. I've got Maisie. Catherine's got Xenia. Matt's got Darwin. Catherine's got some points with Italy, you know. Oh, yes. So, not the title, could we Catherine. Do next but... gen, could we do next-gen predictions so I can get another chance to... No. Yeah, but that'll just be all... Everybody will be, everybody will be saying Artifice. So what's the point? Um, so no, we're not doing that. Uh, Billy Jean, we don't who... count next gen in. I mean, I did mention it earlier in in that head to head, didn't I? But I did qualify it with if you count next gen. I, I felt like we'd yeah, made a, a, a a podcast policy not to not to count next gen. No, we're not counting. Yeah, that. and I do support that policy. I just yeah. <laughs> we'll be bringing you the results next week <laughs> in about a forty eight second segment. Uh, Billie Jean is sponsored by Billie Jean King and Alana Kloss. We have our top folks and executive producers. After three, one, two, three, Jamie, Jamie, Jamie Hannah, Andrew. And we have our shout-outs, Matt. <laughs> we start with Deborah Bloom. Right, Deborah. Like Deborah Jeffers. Like, like Gillard Bloom. Oh, my word, Catherine, that is genius. A former tennis player who did once appear on the Champions Tour. And I have him in a photo above my TV with us all lining up alongside Diego Maradona having played football because he was in the team. He was uh, in that team? Yeah, he sure was. 2004. <laughs> Just 19 <laughs> he, years ago. He played a Champions Tour event in Sao Paulo that I was at. Oh. Oh, there we are. Um, um, what did I come oh, up with I've, for Deborah? I've, I've absolutely nailed that. Very much it, impressive. It was, it was because the um, the event was being held in a lovely uh, tennis club in the Jewish quarter of the city, and they were very keen on having the event, but they wanted a. Uh, Jewish or Israeli player in the field. So enter Gilad Bloom as a wild card. Had uh, he did he did not meet the qualification criteria. Um but they they were pretty fast and loose with that on the old champions tour, weren't they, David? Can confirm. So that yep. was that was my week with Gilad Bloom. Excellent. Well, very 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 useful for shout outs. And uh, Deborah Jevons barely got a mention, even though she does sort of like run Wimbledon. <laughs> um, but uh, thank you very much, Deborah. <laughs> thank you, Deborah. And 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 this Deborah, in fact, says I'm a librarian who's been to Wimbledon but somehow missed the Wimbledon Library. So. Oh. You're just going to have to go back, Deborah. I would say have to that. Have to go back, Deborah. Yeah, good plan. Good plan. We've also got Barbara Mann from Ontario, Canada. Oh, like Barbara Shet, and like Barbara, my <laughs> mum. Hey. Oh. Um. That's that's from Ontario, Canada. Like Barbara Travers, the former ITF communications head, who's a listener of ours. Right, Barbara. <laughs> this Barbara says the first tennis match, 
the first professional tennis match she watched was the 2009 Wimbledon men's final, Federer and Roddick. Imagine wow. that. Well, Barbara the first must be match. quite young. Or, or discovered tennis late, yeah. you could say. Yeah. Like Barbara Perry, the former agent of uh, Jennifer Capriati, and who yes. we now know very well. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Barbara. Loads <laughs> of Barbaras. Um, have we got any other shout-outs, Matt? Thank you, Barbara. Yes, we've got Lejeune Austin in Colorado. Wow. Lejeune. Wow. As in the young? Yes. Think I might struggle with tennis Lejeunes. Lejeune. What a name Lejeune Austin Brilliant is. Brilliant name. Lejeune says... I know someone called Austin. First name, Austin from Texas. Yeah. And Austin Krychek. Very good. Tracy Austin. <laughs> That's a biggie as I'm well. on fire today. <laughs> Lejeune says, I recently found a book that belonged to my late mother called Tennis Made Easy by Lloyd Bugge that was published in 1945. I found it interesting that he identifies the four common types of string as lamb gut, hog gut, nylon and silk. How te- how technology and equipment has changed. My dad is going to love mm, that. I was thinking of your dad. He's seeking Silk. out the book as we speak. Mm. I'm sorry, Lejeune, but Lloyd Budge is lying to you with that book title. There is no way to make tennis easy. <laughs> it's just hard. <laughs> yeah, it's a fundamental part of the sport. I wonder whether Lloyd Budge is related to Donald Budge. All good questions. Thank you very much, Lejeune. <laughs> and finally, we have Joanne Valentine. What a name. What a Hello, Joanne name. Valentine. What a name. Joe Conter. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I've only got Shirley Valentine, who was uh, once a film character. Ever see that? It's really good. David, Matt definitely doesn't know who Shirley Matt Valentine is. Close to being born. It's good, though, Matt. You know, it's it's in colour. Has Joanne got anything else to say? Uh, Yes, lots of lots of lovely things. She found the podcast via a work colleague, Katie. Oh, isn't that nice? Oh, well done, Katie. Very impressed, Katie. Thank you very much, and thank you, Joanne, for being a friend of the podcast. Thank you, Joanne. Right then, I think it's bedtime, folks. Um, especially as uh, as the Buffalo Bills seem to be getting beaten now by uh, Philadelphia what? Eagles. No, that's turned yeah, around pretty been... dramatically, folks. Sorry about that. Fourth quarter, it's not over yet. Um, they were up but, by yeah. twelve. Yeah, yeah. Sorry there's about that. There's, there's nine and a half minutes to go, though. So in soon to be out of date another, NFL news. Probably another forty five minutes. <laughs> That's not an exaggeration. Right, uh, Matt, uh, have a good flight home. And, uh, yeah, I'll speak to you both very soon. We'll speak to all of you very soon. Um, Thanks for being with us over the course of this Davis Cup finals week. We've loved producing these shows. And, uh, yeah, we'll be back with you in your ears very soon. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.